So many things today, all building towards the words I'm about to tell you. I hope you've been listening and that the Lord's already been working on your heart because all of these things you've been hearing so far are building towards something important today, I believe, the work that God wants to do. It's great to have Pastor Evan back leading out after him being away for a while this summer. Awesome to have him back working with us and everything. Uh, So uh, be sure to tell him you missed him and say hi when you see him. He just loves lots of attention. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit that has been strong in this service already will continue working on our hearts and that we will have ears that here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the middle of a a short series, a three-week series out of the book of John. John chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. We focused last Sabbath on John chapter 9, the story of the man born blind. And something interesting about chapter 9 and chapter 10, they're both dealing with some of the primary senses we use. Chapter 9 was all about this concept of blindness, literal blindness, but then the impact of spiritual blindness. Now, as we get into chapter 10, we're going to shift to a different one of the senses. We're going to talk about hearing. It's going to come into the story here, and it's very interesting how it does, because the first part of John chapter 10 is really a continuation of the story from John chapter 9. So it is the result of blindness that this whole issue of hearing comes up. So we're actually going to begin today at the tail end of John chapter 9, because what happens in 10 is a continuation of this problem. John chapter 9, verse 39, we read, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because as you recall from that whole story, Jesus heals a man born blind, but the Pharisees are so determined to be against Jesus that by the end of the chapter, they're saying, well, we don't know how this happened, but we know he's bad. This is what happens when we're determined to not believe. Even in the face of remarkable evidence, we will choose to not believe. Now, I mentioned last week that in the book of John, there are very few parables. A lot of the other gospels, Jesus tells lots of parables. But in the book of John, there really aren't very many parables. Instead, The stories themselves play the role of parables in other places. But even though there aren't a lot of parables, there is in chapter 10 two occasions where Jesus specifically uses a direct metaphor. Now his purpose here in using these metaphors is to address the reason that the Pharisees would not and could not believe. There's also a couple other things that are going to come out in here. He's going to talk about sheep a lot, and he's going to talk about hearing a lot. So look for the metaphors. 
and for these concepts of sheep and hearing. So we go to John chapter 10, and we find in verse 1, now this is continuing from the previous chapter, very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. All right, now, you probably have a basic understanding of these words as I read them to you, but I want to take us a little deeper into our understanding here because, I mean, let's just take a quick poll. How many shepherds do we have here today joining us? Any shepherds? Okay, not so many, right? We don't really do that anymore. It used to be you asked that question at church. Lots of people would raise their hand. Yeah, I'm a shepherd. And we don't really do that now. So, so metaphors involving shepherds and, and people living in small villages who herd sheep, they're kind of lost on us. But I want you to understand how powerful what Jesus is saying here really is. Now, when we think of shepherd today or someone who has sheep, we tend to think of, a, of massive industrial farming. Uh, a farm with 2,000 sheep or something like that and, and uh, great big pens and, and people who drive sheep from one pen to the other and all these different things that happen. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. You see, back in those days, you were a shepherd, but you might not really have that many sheep. It might be 10, might be 15, maybe 20. You know, Jesus tells that story of the man with 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, and he goes out and looks for the one. He doesn't tell it with a man with a hundred sheep because a hundred sheep was common. He tells it in order to bring emphasis to even a man with so many sheep would still care about one. So the first thing to get out of your mind is that we're talking about massive herds here. We're talking about shepherds who have just a few sheep. Now, the second thing to understand here is in those days, there was a lot of uncertainty in the lives of people, and you never knew when bandits might come and steal your flock. And so people would live in towns, not for convenience, but for protection. So this isn't, here's a house, and then five miles away is another house. No, what would happen at the end of the day is all the shepherds would come back to town, because together there was a measure of security. They would go out during the days and take their sheep to different places where they would pasture them and give them water. And then at the end of the day, the shepherds would all bring their sheep back to town. Now in the town, there was a single sheep pen in the middle of the town with a gate, one gate. Only one way in, one way out. And all the shepherds would come in at the end of the day and take their sheep and put them into the common sheep pen. And all the sheep that belonged to all the people in the town would then mingle inside this common pen and they would close the gate because sheep wander off sometimes so that the sheep would stay in and be safe. 
and one of them would be appointed for the night, the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper would stay awake and keep an eye on the sheep and keep an eye on what's going on and make sure no one went through the gate. Therefore, a thief or a robber, if they were going to do anything, they had to do what? They had to go over the wall. The gatekeeper would watch the gate. Now, do you think that the sheep, when they're in that pen together, all stayed in their own little groups? All my sheep stayed over here, and all the other guys' sheep stayed over there. Or do you think they mixed? Yeah, they mixed, didn't they? So how in the world in the morning did you get your sheep out? Okay, here's the crazy thing about sheep. Sheep know their shepherd. So what would happen is in the morning you would come to the gate and the gatekeeper would recognize you as one of the shepherds and he would open the gate, but the sheep wouldn't all immediately run out. What you had to do was call. So you gave the call that you always gave to your sheep and your sheep would come out and everybody else's would stay in. The sheep will never follow a stranger. Now that's a fascinating concept, right? But maybe if you're a little bit skeptical, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, right. Is it true? Well, I have an interesting little video I want you to see here that I think makes this point pretty well about how sheep know the shepherd's voice and follow. So Alyssa, let's go ahead and run that video there. One more time. Isn't that amazing? Sheep know the shepherd's voice. 
And they know everybody else that comes up and yells, they can yell whatever they want. They're hardly even interesting. But when the shepherd calls, something important is happening. We need to come. Hang on to that image in your mind as we work our way through the rest of this chapter. Now, I told you Jesus was going to use a couple metaphors here, and we'll see this here starting in verse 7 of John 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So the first metaphor Jesus uses is he says, I am the gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When the thief comes to the sheep pen, he just wants to kill a sheep and get out of there. When the shepherd comes, he wants to take the sheep out to his rich life. Pasture, water, everything he needs. And we see again in this, pas- in this passage, as we reflect on what we talked about this, mor- this, this summer in the Frame series, we talked about the experience of salvation. We see, I believe, that same idea in this passage because Jesus says in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is what Jesus has done to save us. It is through Jesus that we are saved. But you remember the other part of the experience of salvation, what God has done to give us a new life? Well, that comes in verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We enter through the gate and we experience full living. So Jesus is the gate and all that are saved are saved through him. We are the sheep. We enter the fold through him and we come in and out through the one gate. Now we go on, John, 11, John chapter 10, verse 11. This is the second metaphor Jesus uses. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, so think about the video we just watched. Those kids are there. They don't have any connection with those sheep. They're just there, and they're doing a little experiment, and they're calling the sheep. Let's say while those kids were there, a bear comes out of the woods and comes after those sheep. What's their first impulse going to be? Jump the fence and help the sheep? Run for the car. But what's the shepherd going to do? He's going to jump in there to save the sheep. Jesus is like a good shepherd. When trouble comes after you, he doesn't run away. He jumps in there with you to save you. To what extent is he willing to go? John 10 verse 14. I am the good shepherd... I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. 
All right, I want you to think about that for a minute. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Those sheep obviously knew the shepherd, didn't they? Because they had spent time with the shepherd. The shepherd had been with them. They knew his voice. They knew his way. They knew his manner. They knew how to respond. Remember, this whole passage takes place after the story in John chapter 9. The man born blind. The blind man only knew Jesus by his voice. Because he'd never seen him. And he doesn't even see Jesus until the end. Not many in this room, I'm guessing, have literally seen Jesus with their eyes. So maybe we need to be able to know Jesus by his voice as well. It says that, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. This idea of Jesus knowing us Do you think that's a fairly important point, or that's just kind of a, oh yeah, well sure, that's just nice language? I want to suggest to you that this concept is in fact foundational to who Jesus is. And I use 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 as evidence for this. Paul writes, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm sealed with this inscription. We're talking about something important here, right? God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know who you are and that he doesn't care about you. In fact, the solid foundation of his throne is sealed with the reality that he knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Once again, the experience of salvation. The Lord knows those who are his, and he calls them, and those who are his, like the sheep, follow him. They turn away from whatever the shepherd is calling them from and follow him. Jesus knows us, and if we are listening, we know his voice. And if we are listening and are his sheep, we will come when he calls. We won't come when anyone else calls, but we will come when Jesus calls. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, this is actually a rather overwhelming point here, and I want you to catch it because you could miss, miss it easily. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And then he's thinking of an example. How do my sheep know me? Oh, I know. Just like the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What Jesus is saying is, we can know Jesus and his voice as well as Jesus knew the Father and his voice. Did you know we could be that close? And he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How committed is Jesus to you and me? He is committed enough to lay down his life for us. Then in the passage comes a part that we often ascribe to others, but 
But that's not technically accurate in its original context. This, this next piece is actually about us. John 10, verse 16. I have other sheep, Jesus says, that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, sometimes we've used that to, to talk about those people that aren't a part of our church, those people out there. And, and we're all in here, and we say, well... Jesus has other sheep, might be a part of another place. Okay, that's true enough. But let's go back to the original context here. Jesus is talking to Jewish believers and Jewish Pharisees who don't believe. And he's saying, my sheep hear my voice and follow. And this one's really going to amaze you because I've got sheep out there in other folds. He's talking about Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, this is one of those promises for you that Jesus is calling you to, to become a part of his flock, to become a part of this one shepherd following him. We're so quick sometimes to use this passage to suggest that we're the insiders and everybody else is the outsiders. But in truth, this passage is what makes us as outsiders part of the insiders. You know, we always need to be humble when we read the Bible, don't we? To not always read it as though we're the good guys and we're the insiders. There's two great dangers in reading the Bible, to always see yourself as an insider or always see yourself as an outsider. Be humble when you read the Word. Let God lead you in what He's saying and realize the grace and mercy that's come to us all to bring us to be a part. When we take that insider versus outsider mentality, we immediately start pushing people away. When we realize we were the outsiders brought in, it helps us to embrace, doesn't it? Verse 17 The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. All right. Jesus gets to this part, and he pretty well loses them. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story of Jesus' life and how he would die on the cross and be resurrected. And, and so we can read that back into what Jesus is saying here, and it makes sense to us. But sometimes it didn't make sense to them. And this passage, what this, these words that Jesus speaks are quite confusing to them. But here's the thing. Sometimes in our own life, what Jesus is telling us and calling us to is kind of confusing. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you read passages in there that are kind of confusing. And the temptation when we're confused is to just set it aside and say, this is a waste of time. But don't do that. Keep listening. Keep trying to understand. Even if you don't understand right now, God will keep leading you. Keep listening for the voice of Jesus, and in time, you will come to understand things that you had no idea what they meant before, but you have to stay with it. 
Now, I want you to notice what happens after Jesus makes this comment. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? When Jesus speaks, people can become divided. Because some of the claims of Jesus and some of the things he calls us to will be against what people believe or want to believe. And when Jesus speaks and we listen, we're forced to make a decision. And the truth is, if you're really paying attention, he is either raving mad or he is everything he says he is. Somehow we create this this middle notion that somehow, oh, well, he's a good teacher or he's a good this or a good that. Well, if you're really listening to his claims, then he's either raving mad like the one group thought or he really is all he claims to be. If we're really listening to Jesus, we'll have to make a choice. And there always are, truly, two groups listening to Jesus. Those who can't believe and those who can't help but believe. What makes the difference in these groups? Well, it all comes down to whether you will or won't be a sheep of the good shepherd. John 10, verse 22. Now a little bit of time passes. There's a break from where we were. A little bit of time passes, but the theme goes on. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. How often do we fall into this trap? This notion that if Jesus would just be straight with me, I would believe. Is it true? If Jesus were to appear here today and say, I am the Messiah, would that finally settle it for everybody? We like to think it would, don't we? But you know, think about Israel. They're in bondage in Egypt. And they witness these plagues. And the Lord brings them out with a mighty hand. How long did it take them to start doubting? Think about your own life. How has God shown up in your life? How has God delivered you in your life? How many times has it been obvious that he's working in your life and in the lives of those around you? And then how easy is it again to start to doubt? John 10, verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as these, these moral free agents. Here I am, this awesome prize, and I've got the forces of good over here making me certain offers, and I've got the forces of evil over here making me certain offers, and you know, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. God, you're going to step up your game a little bit? You hear what I'm being offered over here? And somehow I'm this great, powerful force, and I'm in charge of both God and evil, and I get to choose, and that's real dangerous, isn't it? Because do I know everything that's good for me? Can I see beyond my life? Can I understand that which has not come yet? Am I smart enough to figure out everything that's good for me in my life? Here's the offer that Jesus is making. Listen to my voice. Learn it and follow me when I speak. And the result will be eternal life and a safe place where no one can steal you away. Which really, if you think about it, that's about all a sheep could ever ask for, right? Do you have ears that can hear the voice of the good shepherd calling you? In the book, Desire of Ages, Ellen White writes on this particular passage in pages 479 and 483. I want you to listen to this because this is really powerful. Jesus knows us individually and is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus doesn't just know us generally. Jesus knows us individually. He knows us all by name. He knows the very house in which we live, the name of each occupant. Every soul is as fully known to Jesus as if he or she were the only one for whom the Savior died. The distress of everyone touches his heart. The cry for aid reaches his ear. Through all our trials, we have a never-failing helper. He does not leave us alone to struggle with temptation, to battle with evil, and be finally crushed with burdens and sorrow. Though now he is hidden from mortal sight, the ear of faith can hear his voice saying, Fear not, I am with you. I want you to think right now, about your greatest fear. What are you worried about right now? What burden did you carry in here today? What do you think you're facing all alone? Now I want to challenge you while you're thinking about that to listen for the voice that says, Fear not, I am with you. That is the voice of the Good Shepherd. Can you believe it? 
We'll finish the quote. Think not that you are desolate and forsaken. Though your pain touch no responsive cord in any heart on earth, look unto me, Jesus says, and live. The Good Shepherd's calling you today. And I, I just want to go back to that image we saw before of the shepherd and his sheep. Now, Alyssa's going to pull that up here, and we're going to jump ahead to the part. Here we go. Now, I want you to watch. Which one of these sheep are you? Are you in there? I want to be that one that goes right behind him. Even personalities there, you see it? But the shepherd calls them all. The shepherd loves them all. The good shepherd is calling you today. Do you have ears that hear? Will you come to Jesus and be saved? Be made part of his flock. Jesus is calling. Follow him out and go where he leads. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to hear Jesus, the good shepherd, calling us. We confess when we've been the sheep that stayed in the woods and didn't come. And we're sorry for it because we paid the price. But now we want to be the sheep that gets right behind the shepherd and follows. We believe that only you have the words of life. Only you can make blind eyes see. Only you can make deaf ears hear. So perform an act of spiritual healing on us so that we will hear your voice and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.